at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. This is a special Best of Caller Questions Invest Talk compilation program. Remember, the Invest Talk phone lines never close. Please call with questions 888-99 chart. 888-99-CHART. They will be played and answered on an upcoming Invest Talk podcast. So I encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions, which you can do right now during our live stream program from 4 to 5 Pacific time, or you can leave a question on our anytime voice bank. Either way, the number never changes. It's 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hello, big fan of the show. I just wanted to see what kind of economic reports or indicators you guys use to see what kind of a market environment we're in. Thank you. Well, that's a loaded question because there are many, many indicators that, that matter, but they, none of them matter in a vacuum. It's as a whole. And what you want to be looking at are more leading indicators. Now, what are leading indicators? Consumer sentiment? Uh, ISM new orders, because remember leading is about what's going to happen three, six, nine months down the line. That's what's most important. When you're looking at GDP, for example, those numbers are backwards looking. Same with jobs numbers. Now there's some more kind of coincidental indicators. Think of unemployment, new unemployment, um, claims. That's a weekly number that you can kind of get a sense of where the trend is going and it's kind of real time. But ideally, you want to be looking at indicators that are telling you something about the future. For example, building permits, building permits. When home builders want to build a home, they need to get it permitted, create the plans before they actually start doing anything. And so if those building permits are rising, that means there can be more activity from them in the future, more homes being built, more people buying homes, more furniture being purchased, more movers being hired. Buying a home creates a lot of economic activity. So those are a few of the factors. Once again, I could go on for hours touching on important economic numbers. But my main point here is make sure you're looking and you can look these up. What are forward economic indicators or excuse me, leading economic indicators? What are coincidental and what are lagging? Most people, when they're looking at, when they're talking about economic data, they're looking at things that are lagging, that are, that are from a month to two months ago. Uh, so, so make sure you try to focus on things that are more up-to-date and leading. Hey, guys. Suzanne from Michigan. I've been meaning to call and ask your thoughts about the S&P index fund and whether it's preferable to buy an equal-weighted fund versus the typical market cap-weighted. I wonder if, especially now with the tech or growth slowing and with many of us having indexed S&P funds, should we perhaps shift some portion or perhaps add an equal weighted fund to our diversified portfolios? I look forward to hearing your thoughts and analysis on the podcast. As always, thank you. All right. Looking at the S&P 
equal weight ETF? And the answer is yes, you definitely should be looking at the equal weight over the over over the the market cap weight, right? The S&P itself is market cap weighted. Meaning the larger the company is, the bigger percentage of the portfolio or the 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 index it is. And what that means is there's a lot more room for downside for the large companies. So there's less volatility because you're weighted in those larger cap names, but there's also the potential for more downside. And long-term, mid caps, small caps, they tend to do better than large caps over the long-term. They have more room to grow on the upside. And so if you're in a market cap weighted index, those smaller cap names, which may, some of them may grow dramatically over time, they can double and triple, quadruple quite easy. And if you're a market cap, you're going to have very low, market cap weighted, you're going to have a very low exposure there. Equal weighted, you're going to have the same weighting for the largest company and the smallest company in the S&P. So basically, every, you have 500 stocks, every stock in the equal weighted ETF or index is going to be about 0.2% whether it's large or small. And so in these times, especially, I do think adding a, an equal weight ETF is much better than a market cap weighted ETF. Great question. And thanks for the call. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. And you can get through right now. Get ready for a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar, Value Investing, Positioning Your Portfolio for Profitability, Relative Price, and Dividend Payments. The Wealth Webinar will be a crash course on how to structure your value portfolios, providing real examples with assessment tools that KPP Financial uses every day to grow clients' wealth. The webinar will be anchored by KPP Financial CEO and Talk host, Justin Klein, and by KPP Financial Portfolio Manager, Luke Guerrero. Mark your calendar for Wednesday, March 22nd from 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. You are invited to a new KPP Financial Wealth Webinar. Be sure to tell your friends and family members it's free and you can register now at investtalk.com. Now, each time I host the Invest Talk podcast, I have the satisfaction of taking caller questions and then breaking down the often complex dynamics involved. If you've never called, don't hold back. You can leave your Invest Talk questions on the 24 7 anytime listener line at 888 99Chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. My name is Brandon from Oklahoma, and I just kind of had a, a general question about you know how the stock market grows. You know, because right now, obviously, it's kind of going down the bear market for Nasdaq, and you know, could possibly enter that for S and P and Dow. And uh, you know, people will say you know the stock market has an upward trajectory throughout the years, which has been proven true. But 
how does it keep growing? You know, people are saying, you know, by 2035, the Dow will be, you know, 100,000 points, whereas right now it's in the 30s. How does the valuation just keep growing and growing and growing? And then obviously you have people that say, well, it can't grow forever. I'm just curious, is it just people spend more money, people buy more products, there's more people with more money, and so people, you know, that drives stocks up. Just, I'm kind of curious how the overall market as a whole continues to grow. And obviously, just keep investing to grow your money over a long period of time. Thank you very much. That's actually a pretty good question. And there's different dynamics that drive the growth of the stock market. First of all, you've got new stocks coming aboard on all the time, IPOs, initial and public offerings. At the same time, you have stocks being bought by other companies or taken private all the time, too. A good example for that will be Facebook when uh, uh, Musk takes it private. It will no longer be a stock on the exchange. But another way, remember, you got to remember earnings grow every year. Companies grow their earnings. That's their, that's their focus. So if earnings grow every year, technically the stock price should go up every year, even though that's not true. But you also have companies who constantly buy their stocks out of the open market. They take, so the shares trading in the float are going down which drives drives earnings per share up. Stocks go up when earnings go up. That's the overall background rule you should understand. So how do stocks go up when earnings go up? Well, that's you and me. We drive the price up. We decide. And sometimes we'll value a dollar's worth of earnings at a P.E. of maybe 15, and other times we may value that same dollar at a P.E. of 30, because maybe the sales growth is going well. Kind of remember that stock market is dynamic, and a, a healthy economic system, a free economic system, is dynamic, meaning companies go out of business, new companies take over. Uh, you should read the book Creative Destruction. Companies go out of business for reasons. They're destroyed, and then we create new companies. And this pushes all these different things, push prices and stocks up. Okay. It's it's more than just one thing. It's multiple things. Good question. Hey, guys. This is uh, Dan from Seattle. Uh, you guys manage my portfolio. I just wanted to say thanks. You're doing a great job with it. But I manage my niece and nephew's Roth IRAs, and I just had a quick question. I have them in the three-fund portfolio. We have three ETFs, SCHG, SCHV, and SCHA, which is large-cap growth, large-cap value, and small-cap stock or uh, ETFs all through Schwab. And what we do is every month we go in and we buy whichever one is down the lowest. So we've been buying lots of value over the last two years, and now we're buying lots of growth. And I know you say growth will probably underperform, but with them having such long time horizons for both 20 years old, uh, 18 and 20, is that a good strategy just to keep buying whichever one is dipping the most and not letting them get too unbalanced? But I just wanted to see what you thought of that three fund portfolio and that strategy. Thank you. Uh, frankly, there's nothing wrong with it if it's a long-term outlook because there's times when value outperforms, there's times when growth outperforms, and we've been dealing with growth outperforming for a number of years, and we feel, uh, Justin and I feel that it's tur- values turn. But that doesn't mean growth doesn't work. It just means that value should perform better uh, for a while. How long? We don't know. 
I mean, no one really knows these things, but I think a good spread that you have, and ETFs are spread out broadly into the sectors they're in, I see nothing wrong with you holding on to that. It will be fine. Why do listener questions make Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. When do I know the right time to take profits? And listeners instinctively realize that Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. So don't forget to call Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name is Brandon, and uh, I just started my investing, mainly Roth IRAs for me and my wife, but I also have about a $20,000 account that I'm kind of dabbling in. My question is, I made a lot of gains off of the 2020 lows, and now I'm switching to more of a like three ETFs, three stocks like Microsoft, like kind of safer stocks. I have a 20-year horizon, and my question is simply, you know, since I'm, my retirement's so far out, how do I deal with the ups and downs? Like, this, it's been a very volatile year, and like, I believe today it's like 3% down. How do I, you know, the mindset of not looking or just, you know, just keep investing and don't worry about the today's climate necessarily invest for the future? Thank you. Okay, that's an excellent question because the biggest problem most people have is they let fear and greed control their decisions. And many people don't even think they're doing that, but they are doing it. When I say fear and greed, they feel what happens is that your 401k, your IRA goes down 50%. Fear sets in and they tend to sell. And this is not something I'm making up. There's been study after study proving this. Then after the market recovers quite a bit, they tend to get back in. What are you doing? You're selling low and buying high. You're doing just the opposite of what you should do in the stock market. So one of the solutions is don't ever sell. Just stay in the market. If you're a long-term investor, you can just stay in the market, buy indexes, and just hold on, and you'll be fine. Now, as you get closer to retirement, you might want to be a little bit sharper by maybe spreading out into different asset classes, uh, bonds, and particularly to, you know, spread your risk, okay? But it really comes down from the onset, well, how risky do you want to be? If you want to take full stock market risk, what you do, buy an index and just stay the course. Now, if you have the ability, when the market is high, like it has been, produce some cash, and then the next recession, dump all that money back in. If you can do that when the market has crashed, you will be much better off. Most people can't do it. The market's crashed. Oh, my God, I can't get in the market. It's crashed. It's still crashing. How far do I? Maybe it goes down to zero. The uh, fear sets in. Now, when the market's high, everybody gets greedy. For instance, you said you had a really good return from last year. What are you doing? You probably should take some of that off the table a little bit. You know, at least, at very, very least, rebalance into more uh, defensive-type positions, maybe maybe some commodity stocks, you know, maybe get out of your high-growth positions, you know. But then you're going to have to know, what, know how to do – you're going to have to learn how to manage your portfolio. And if you can't do that or don't have the time to do that or don't want to do that – just stay in the indexes. You'll be fine. 
especially when you're 401k and money keeps coming in and you keep having money to invest. You know, you can just keep investing right through the crash. You want to crash because then you get to buy things on sale if you're a long-term investor. Okay? You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your questions. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Richard in the Bay Area. Hi, Richard. Uh, hey, Steve. Thanks for taking my call again. I Thank appreciate you. all of your answers. I had a question about uh, small cap companies in, um, in terms of their response to their market. I know... They start a bear market, like they, they typically go down first, and then the large cap um, value follow them. But out of a bear market, um, how does it go? Does it go the same way, like large cap and small cap? You mean in a bull um, market or, when it t- like, turns or when it turns up? You mean? Yeah, when it when it turns around. Yeah, when okay, it turns yeah. up. When 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 we are recovering from a bear market. How yeah, they they will recover much faster. Small cap growth stocks will recover much faster. They go down fast and deep, and they recover fast. Okay, so don't think that it's all a bad deal. It's just a, how can can you stomach the volatility? Because you know they could lose fifty, eighty percent of their value, right? I mean, that's not uncommon. And you know, back in two thousand eight, they went down more than fifty percent. The overall market went down fifty percent. They went down farther than that, especially the small cap growth. And they also have trouble when interest rates are rising. That you know that we're in a rising interest rate environment. They don't like that at all because they use borrowed money to help grow their company. And that's a, that's a general statement. Okay, so just be aware. Yeah, they'll they'll bounce up fast. They will once the bottom is put in wherever that is. Once it's perceived that the Fed has is, is slowing or stopping raising rates, once they perceive that the damage to the economy is is complete, there's no more damage to done to the economy because of the Fed, then they'll start turning around. And just so you know, everybody, the stock market will move up before you see the evidence of the economy moving up. If we go into recession. And just the reason why I'm talking recession, we already have the first quarter we shrank 1.4%. The GDP shrank 1.4% because of the high inflation. That reduces the, the, the nominal number, right? So next, next quarter, we're still dealing with a high inflation. So we still that could be the second quarter in a row where the GDP shrank. We're in a recession. That's the definition. Now, it might not be very painful because we have lots of jobs, but we're still in a recession. Thank you, for the, thank you for the call. I appreciate the question. Our InvestTalk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Let's go to Edgar in San Diego. How you doing, Edgar? Yes. Hi, Justin. How are you? Doing well. 
Justin, I have a question. This is uh, I have some uh, I had some financial mutual fund, and mm-hmm. I was under the impression if the interest rate goes up, financial will benefit. Mm-hmm. But looks like it it is the other way around now. Mm-hmm. I was wondering why is that, and then after that, I have a question about uh, some value ETF. Well, very simple, and this is uh, why I kind of got neutral on banks uh, a couple months ago after being bullish for a little while, is you're correct that higher interest rates are typically good for banks unless they slow the economy. And that creates an uptick in defaults. And so higher interest rates are good as long as those higher interest rates aren't aren't creating headwinds, major headwinds to economic growth. And the pace that the Fed has raised rates at has clearly created headwinds. Uh, I remember the market's pricing that in and has started to price that in. So just like anything in the investment world, it's never one factor. A lot of people like to chalk up certain price movements to one thing or another. It's usually multiple factors. And Everything is good up into a point, and same with higher interest rates uh, in in this market. So, um, you know, the fact that the U.S. US economy shrank a bit in the first quarter uh, just goes to show you that those higher interest rates have, have have crimped some economic activity. Okay, what was your second question? Since I uh, unload my financial and I'm looking at value mm-hmm. ETF or funds and. Mm-hmm. I am not sure which way should I go, a mid-cap, a mega-cap value or mid-cap value. What is your take? Well, longer term, mid-cap value is going to do much better. Just simply based on math. Uh, There's more upside for uh, more mid-cap companies that are quote-unquote undervalued. Whereas mega caps, I mean, they're mega caps. So how how cheap can they really be when they're mega cap, right? Just simply based on the total value. Not to say you can't find bargains in that space. Um, it's just much better risk versus reward in uh, the mid caps. Then long term, mid caps are simply going to outperform uh, large caps. So uh, now it depends on, on your time horizon, though, in the you know short to medium term. Those mega caps might do a little bit better, uh, just simply because they're more blue chip and in a in a, in a rougher market, uh, they tend to have less downside. Um, so it really depends on your time horizon there. But anything beyond a couple of years, I'm, I would expect mid caps to do much much better. Thank you so much. No problem. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278, and you can get through right now. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Let's go to Nick and Hayward, talk about P ratios. Yeah, hi, Justin. Uh, I want to ask you uh, it's a great show you have. Uh, thank you very much. How do you know when a stock is cheap enough? It's not just a P.E. ratio, I'm sure, no, because no. some P.E. ratios are single digits, some are double digits, as you know. Can mm-hmm. you explain something, please? Thank you. Well, sure. Well, you're never, there's never one figure, okay? Anybody that says you just use one, this one metric and that's all you need doesn't know what they're talking about. There's, there's always multiple metrics. Now, it's also when you're analyzing the numbers, you want to look at them in relative terms, not just absolute terms. You might say, you know, AP ratio. Oh, that sounds cheap. That's low. Well, does historically just stay around an AP ratio? What if it vacillates between six and a 10 P ratio instead of eight? And your upside is that multiple to expand to 10. That's not great. 
Okay, so understanding where historically trades at and where it's trading at today is important. But you probably don't want to use P either. You want to use something that is less manipulated. The E is always be manipulated via accounting rules. And the P is just looking at the market cap. Well, what about debt? That is important as well. How much debt does the company have? So that's why we like to look at enterprise value to cash flow, to EBITDA, things like that. Okay, I think those are better metrics that you want to use. And once again, comparing it to where it trades historically. And then versus its peers. You want to look within the industry. Similar type of companies. Are they, are, are companies, you know, companies in this industry, are they typically trading at 25 times enterprise value to EBITDA? Or is it closer to 10 times? Because that's very important as well. 25 times might be cheap compared to how the industry typically trades. And you want to go through different cycles, you know, 10 plus years, looking at those figures. And then you want to look at the durability and growth of the business. Now, has their business improved recently or deteriorated? Do you have faith that their business is going to endure for the next five, 10 years? Or do you see threats on the horizon? I'll give you an example. Visa and MasterCard. I think they trade at pretty high premiums. Well, what has emerged over the past decade or so? Cryptocurrencies, easier ways to transfer money, Venmo, Zelle, things like that. And not to say MasterCard Visa haven't grown, but do they deserve the multiple? When over the last decade, you know, they didn't have as much of that threat. These are things to think about. Now, it could be wrong, but that's the way I think about whether a company should be trading at the same multiple that it had been in the past. Okay. So once again, there's multiple factors you have to consider. I know everybody wants this magic formula. Well, guess what? There's not a magic formula for knowing exactly when things are very or not. It's looking at things in relation and then understanding the backdrop. You can see, find something that's very cheap, but if, Hey, it's a cyclical name and the economy is slowing, it can continue to get cheaper. And so you want to line up that inflection point of the economic backdrop that starts to help the businesses, or the business you're looking at, and something that is ideally a reasonable value. And that's what good quality management is about. It's putting the odds in your favor. When you buy things that are very expensive, without, you know, just because you're buying, bought into the story and the hopes and dreams of what the company could be, well, you get times like this where multiples come down and, hey, you bought it at absurd multiples and now it's coming down to reality. Okay. So it's really about having that discipline. And if you're having trouble building that discipline, if you need to know whether your portfolio is on the right track for 
the economic backdrop that we're in that I talked about at the top of the show, right? The demographic changes, deglobalization, ESG, all of these things that are driving newer trends that many are not used to. Well, I encourage you to reach out to myself or CPs at our company, KPP Financial, where we operate with the same philosophy as we do on this show, which is independent thinking and shared success. We want to bring you along in our success. And it's where we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So if you want to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meetings, just send us a message to investtalk.com or call our office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. I'm about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. I am calling with a question regarding real estate. I am thinking of putting a property on the market. It's in the Bay Area and wondered the real estate agent I am looking to use. I would want him as a um, dedicated agent, but I heard their firm does dual agencies where I guess one side represents the seller and then another person in the same firm represents the buyer. But I think the preferred way is just getting a dedicated agent for me to use and not go the hopefully not a dual agency. So I wanted to see what your thoughts are and I'll be listening to the answer on your show. Thank you. Yeah, I probably wouldn't want the buyer of my property to be represented by an agent that is within the same brokerage as my agent. Too many potential conflicts there. Um, ultimately, I want my agent to be acting in my best interest. And when you have two sides, you, ha you have the same agency uh, on both sides, you don't know what's talked about, uh, you know, in, inside their walls. Uh, and whether that action is beneficial to you or not. Now they have a fiduciary duty to represent you, uh, as well as represent the buyer in a reasonable manner. That's in the best interest of, of both of you. So I would want somebody separate to be honest with you. So I would go and you shouldn't have, it should be on the market, right? You should look at multiple offers have multiple people look at it, you shouldn't have a pocket listing. And it sounds kind of what you're talking about. I think pocket listings are questionable in their just it's just questionable. I, I wouldn't want I want my property out there for everyone in the market to see so I can get the best price. Let's just say that. 888-992-4278. Let's talk to Leo and Los Gatos. I always like saying Los Gatos. That's in California. How you doing, Leo? Hi, pretty good. I have a comment. I'm a little facetious on this. Okay. When the feds print money, they call it QE. They give it a fancy name, right? Right. And when the average citizen prints money, they call it counterfeiting and put them in jail. 
It's <laughs> exactly true. Yeah, they can do whatever they want, but if you do the same thing, uh-uh, you're going to jail. Look how much money That's the my... government's borrowing. If you borrow that kind of money, respectively, <laughs> you wouldn't get there. You wouldn't be able to. Government can do anything. You got to yeah. look at the humorous side of it, I guess. Yeah. Thanks for the good program. Thanks, Very Leo. Good. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. It's funny. Yeah, the government, the government can do all, anything they want, but not, not you. You got to be real careful. Anyway, do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, eight 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 ninety nine chart. Let's talk to Paul in San Francisco. He wants to talk about the market. Hi, Paul. Yes, yeah, so I'm in San Francisco, and I live to you around a clock, and you're outstanding. And I'm from Patrol Hill. And anyway, how do you figure out what earnings will be next year? Is that possible? Okay, good question. It's always an estimate, right? It's always an estimate. Now, we download uh, software from various big houses that makes those estimates. So how, how do they come up with their estimates? Well, they have, quote-unquote, economists on board who does research, and some of the research is calling the companies that are going to report earnings and calling their competitors, and they figure out what the economy is going to do, and they come up with these estimates of numbers. And then we take several different corporations' estimates and combine them and get an average. That's the best you're going to do. And, Paul, to be honest, is just a guess. It's just – so don't think it's accurate. Okay. Now, you'll hear me quote it all the time. Oh, they're going to make $4.82 next year. That's always an estimate. That's a guess. No one really knows. But it's pretty good. Okay, I can say that. Pretty good. Okay? Paul, appreciate your call. Thank you. Now, we're going to pivot over to an iTunes review question. Moviegoer says, what do you think of robo-advisors such as Vanguard? I normally invest in Vanguard ETFs and decided to give this service a try a year ago. It automated and I don't watch it or make purchases. They claim to base it off my risk tolerance and will automatically adjust my prior portfolio to help meet my retirement goals. There you go. That's an example is the robo-advisor services. That's what they do is they rebalance kind of uh, on a regular basis, often monthly, and try to target a particular risk tolerance level. Now, the issue with the vast majority of these robo-advisors is they're just using index funds. And what are index funds doing? We've talked about many times. They're leaning towards the growth side of the market because they're investing in the S&P. They're investing in the total stock market index. They're investing in just an indices that is that is market cap weighted and weighted towards the very largest companies in the market, which typically are those big mega cap techs. And that's why those are underperforming in a big, big way. So are they better than you using indexes to do it on your own? Probably because they're going to be a little more disciplined than you are, uh, but it definitely isn't the perfect solution. Hi, Justin or Steve. This is Rick from Maryland calling. I have a really simple question, but um, I'm sure there's other listeners that probably um, would like this knowledge as well. So I've never actually sold a covered call that's, that has expired in the money. So I bought Zillow when it dumped after earnings at like $33 a share, bought 100 shares and instantly sold a covered call at $40. It looks like right now there's no telling what will happen between now and June when it expires. But, you know, let's just say it does expire in the money. Do I need to do anything? My broker is TD Ameritrade. Or will it just 
settle on its own. Like, well, I need to actually sell the shares to cover the expired call in the money. I'm just curious. Appreciate uh, your insight and I look forward to your response. Thanks. Great call. And the simple answer is no, you don't have to do anything. If a, if an option, if you hold an option, you're sorry, you're, you're short an option or you're long an option, whatever it is, and it's in the money that is going to be assigned to you upon expiration. So you don't have to do anything. TD Ameritrade will just execute it because the other side is going to probably execute it if that's in the money. Okay. And they can do it beforehand. Remember that. Typically, it only happens kind of the week of option X, but they can do that. Now, one thing that people don't understand with cover calls is you don't need to have it called away from you, even if it's in the money. You can roll it out to a future date, meaning you buy back the call that you sold and you sell a future strike. You can just simply roll it out with the same strike. You can roll it up into a different strike. You can roll it down into a lower strike. Depends on what strategy you want to create, how much income you're you're, you're trying to, to create, what your view is on the particular stock. So I think that's one big mistake that most newer investors that try to sell cover calls don't understand. They think they're tied to that call forever. Uh-uh. You can buy it back at any time. You could sell a cover call today, right now and two seconds later, buy it back. Okay, so understand that difference. Uh, let's take a live call. Kevin from Maui, Hawaii wants to talk about interest rates. How you doing, Steve? Good, Kevin. Good. Uh, so maybe a stupid question. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I couldn't refinance our house before now, so I'm doing it now. I'm on application pre-approved, but I have to lock rates, and I just was curious if you have any input as to do I lock today or <laughs> just wait, you know, is this, is this like if I got to lock sometime in the next three or four weeks, I, so I would probably lock, best to just, I just lock them in now because, rates. yeah, because, because the Fed's going to raise rates in the first part of May and that will, and rates will start to creep up before that. So I, I would lock it in as soon as possible. I really would. Okay. And then quickly, I know I've, I've been trying to get a portfolio. I'm not trying. I, I, tr I missed you when I was in LA. I, I got your link. So I'm going to set up a time with you, but I'm wondering about a 10, 15, we can afford the payment on a 10, 15 or 30. Uh -huh. And the rates are obviously better on an a fixed 10 and then adjust after that. Uh, right. And longer term interest rates, if we keep this, do you, do you have any input on, on where, you know, you think yeah. the cycles would happen? I, I, in 10 I, years? I, I think rates long term are going to stay around 5%, maybe 5 to 6%. So I think you lock in the lower rates as long as you can. Appreciate the call. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are ready to answer your finance and investment questions. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now we have another live call. Always glad to get those. This time we go to Richard in the Bay Area. Actually, this is Castro Valley, and he's listening on AM twelve twenty, asking about cash. Yeah, uh, I use uh, Treasury Direct four week mm -hmm. and eight week notes, mm -hmm. um, and then I have them laddered for storage of cash. Mm -hmm. 
you had mentioned CDs and other things that all have, mm-hmm. you know, issues. Uh, mm-hmm. So from a security standpoint, is that the wrong place to put it? Uh, what, what yield are you getting on eight-month CDs or eight-month uh, securities? Excuse me. No, eight-week. Four-week eight four and eight-week. Yeah, uh, right around a percent, 1.1. 1. 1. Okay. Right in there. Yeah, I think that's not a bad way to go. Uh, especially if you're okay locking the money up for that period of time. It's still pretty short-term, right? Two two months or so. Uh, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. And, you know, laddering that is probably better than a liquid a liquid money market account. You know, I'm thinking of, uh, I, I know I use for my kind of short-term cash, Marcus by Goldman Sachs. I think it's, they just upped it to, I think, 60 basis points or 70 basis points, somewhere in there, which is not mm-hmm. as good as what you're getting. Um, but obviously I can kind of take that out, uh, very easily, very quickly if I, if I need to, uh, now CD lock it up longer, but you can get up to, you know, two and a half percent on a, on a two year. Uh, so that's not a bad way to go either. Uh, it just depends on your, your time horizon, but that treasury direct and that those four, four week and eight week, uh, notes, that's not a bad way to go. If you are, uh, you know, trying to get, you know, some yield off of that very, very short-term cash that you have. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the call. Uh, Got a question for Steve or Justin? You're the best person to ask it at 888-99-CHART. Now's the best time. Let's go to Ken in Texas who wants to talk about corporate bonds. Yeah, Justin, um, you know, I've always heard that you're supposed to allocate according to your age, like subtract your age from... Uh, um, you know, 100 and then have like with me, 70 years old, 70% bonds and 30% equities. Mm-hmm. Is is that, what kind of credence do you give that? And I also have one other question. I've uh, got uh, allocation of 40%, 47% fixed, 33 equity and 20 in cash right now. And, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, am I too heavy on, on the bonds? What What's your thoughts on all of that? Well, I think the 100 minus your age is a good baseline that you want to think about, but I don't think it should be used as gospel. Everyone's a little bit different uh, and their time horizon is different. So, for example, you might be 70, but this money might be earmarked for a child, one of your, your children or grandchildren, and therefore the time horizon for those investments are a lot longer. So you want to think about uh, that. And then consideration of what's where the best opportunities in the market are as well so do you should you lean on bonds when yields remain very very low you know probably not um so that might be lower than it typically would be uh also consideration of your income needs uh is having that mix and that income level uh sufficient to live on then you know maybe that is a good mix for you so having it as a baseline is is fine, but just like everything, you have to make adjustments for your own particular situation, your own time horizon. Uh, how old are you, Ken? I'm 70. You're 70, okay. So Yeah, and what you, I'm looking at, pardon me, but what I'm looking at is on the bonds. I mean, I can get in 4 and 5% fixed on it, and my, right now we spend what we uh, take in. We're balanced on our mm-hmm. income expenses, mm-hmm. and so I... You know, if I can put it in bonds that 
mature in 25 or 26 and get my my uh, money back on it, then that's mm-hmm. kind of where I've been looking on the bond end of it. Yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. We're we're definitely finding uh, fixed income opportunities in the corporate bond space now up to five and a half percent, six percent sometimes, and uh, going out just a few, you know, three, four, five years. And I think that is this is a much better time to be buying bonds than it was over the past few years. Now, is it fantastic yields? No, but definitely relative. It's it's getting a lot better. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, if you can find those yields, five, six percent, and then you can uh, have confidence they're going to stay in business over the next uh, four or five years, then that's a good place to be, if, uh, especially if you're uh, reliant on that income. So uh, you have some cash, but you probably want to put some of that cash to work right now uh, in the corporate bond space. Okay. All right, my friend. Thank you. God bless no y'all. I appreciate you. Thanks for the call, Ken. Thank you. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.